We should pray first, though. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice uh, in Your good and precious promises that no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck us from Your hand. That indeed, Lord Jesus, uh, we are Yours and You are ours forevermore. And we hold fast to that and we cling to that in the midst of uncertainty. Lord, we pray that as we hold fast to You, um, knowing knowing that You hold fast to us, Lord, that You would cause us to walk both in wisdom and humility uh, towards those around us. Lord, that uh, it is easy in our polarized culture to be uh, arrogant and proud, to think that our opinions are the right opinions uh, when not even... Uh, the best minds exactly know what the best course of action is. So in a day of disagreement and argument, God, would you cause us to be humble uh, and loving. Help us to listen. Uh, And particularly for those in our midst who are asking good questions right now uh, because life is threatened. God, we pray that you would give us opportunities to speak good news, to speak the gospel into the lives of our family members and friends and co-workers. Lord, uh, help us to see opportunities and give us boldness uh, to walk towards those, to walk into those conversations. Lord, we pray for uh, the leadership of our city and county, for our state, for our nation, and even for the world. God, that you would give world leaders wisdom, your wisdom. Help them to be uh, wise and prudent, uh, to know how best to care for and love the people that, for whom they are responsible. Uh, Lord, that they, that they may do what uh, is best for human flourishing. God, we pray for those suffering in our midst, particularly with this illness. Lord, for those cities and areas that are hot spots. Lord, for those families who have lost loved ones. God, would you meet them in the midst of trial uh, and would you bring glory to yourself even in dark days. Father, as we approach your word, we thank you for it and we pray that you would bless the reading and hearing and preaching of your word for our good and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have uh, we've begun this new series in the book of Acts. Um, hopefully you have been following along at home with those videos so you know what has been uh, said so far. Um, but we are in Acts chapter 2 today. Our series is called Following Jesus into the World. And uh, the reason I decided to call it that was uh, the book is called The Acts of the Apostles. But really the way that Luke begins the book in Acts 1.1, he says, uh, he implies that This is what Jesus continued to do. That Jesus continues to be at work through the power of His Holy Spirit in His people. So really, this book, yes, the the human characters are the early apostles and the early Christians, but in them and through them is working God Himself, uh, particularly in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, who we will meet today uh, for the first time. So... uh, 
the, the, uh, what we're going to read about is one of the most pivotal moments in all of the Bible. Uh, one of the most pivotal moments in salvation history. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that we often think about it that way. I certainly didn't until I started studying this passage more. We often think about all the other works that Jesus has done. His, his life, His death, His resurrection. Um, we often neglect or don't think much about His ascension. The fact that He went back up to heaven and now rules and reigns from there. But even the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is, aside from Jesus' return, this is really one of those key important things that Jesus does in pouring out His Holy Spirit. And we often don't uh, give it much thought. So hopefully today that changes. Uh, it's also one of the strangest moments in the Bible. Uh, it's, this is one of those moments we're going to, you know, we read the phrase, being full of the Holy Spirit, and that's, that makes, you know, Presbyterians and Baptists kind of start sweating a little bit. Like, what do you mean? Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but we don't often know what to do with this passage, so hopefully today that's, uh, that's helpful. This will be helpful to you. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May he bless it, uh, may he write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Uh, studying a passage like this is, uh, is kind of like playing golf with me. Uh, I'm not a terribly good golfer. Uh, and if you don't understand how golf works, right, the goal is to hit this tiny little white ball off the tee into the fairway where the grass is short and, and flat and you can see it. My tee shots usually don't go in the fairway. They typically go off into the weeds or the woods. Uh, so my job today is to try to keep us out of the weeds uh, and to keep us in the fairway. We read this passage and there's lots of questions we could ask. There's lots of strange things happening and it's really easy to get lost in the weeds. Uh, but my hope today is to keep us in the fairway. Uh, and so I want to do that by asking three questions. One, and this is really the main question, what does the Holy Spirit come to do? What happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out? That's really the main question. And then there are two questions uh, that kind of go alongside that. 
why is there fire? Now, why does fire appear on their on their heads? And then why are they speaking in different languages? And then hopefully there are some things that we can apply to ourselves from that. So, uh, what does the Holy Spirit come to do? Why does the Holy Spirit come? <clears throat> come? And I want you to remember uh, what Jesus had promised His disciples. Remember that back in Acts 1, he had told his disciples that they would be his witnesses, right? He gave them a calling. He gave them a mission. He said, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. But then he also said, wait until I send you the Holy Spirit. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Uh, and we pointed out that, that Jesus not only gives the mission, he not, only, he not only sets the trajectory for our lives, but He also gives us the power to fulfill that mission. So it's not as if Jesus just tells these guys, hey, go get them, I'm proud of you. right? But He actually indwells them with His Spirit so that they can do what He has asked them to do. Jesus both gives the mission and the ability, the power, necessary to do it. So that's what Jesus promised. And so here they are in Jerusalem. They're waiting. There's 120 of them, men and women, much like a small church. Uh, And they're waiting. They're praying. Uh, And then all of a sudden, right, suddenly, and that, that word lets you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't, uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't act on our timetable, right? You can't plan for the Holy Spirit to show up, right? You can't schedule a revival. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes when the Holy Spirit wants to. He's God, okay? And so suddenly, uh, they're in this, they're, they're in this room where they are in the city isn't clear, but they're, they're somewhere where, where large crowd can gather. So maybe they're close to the temple. But they're gathered together and suddenly uh, there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Uh, there, what looks like fire uh, shows up and appears on each one of them. And you get the sense as you read Luke that he's, he's kind of struggling to describe what happened. Right? He says a sound like a wind. Uh, they saw something like fire. Uh, but then it says, he says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages. They began to speak in different tongues. Now, that's all, that all sounds really crazy. What is happening? Well, the, the question that I want to ask is, well, what's the result? What do they do as a result of these things happening? That's the, that's the main question. And if you look in verse 11, it tells you what they're doing. Uh, all of these people who gather, these, uh, this, this large crowd that gathers, what do they hear? They hear the disciples telling in their own languages... The mighty works of God. The Holy Spirit comes to empower God's people to declare God's good news. That's it. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to declare God's good news. That's what the mighty works are, right? In the, in the Old Testament. That's why I chose Psalm 105 for our call to worship. We talk about mighty works in the Old Testament. Those were what the ways that God rescued His people, the miraculous ways, particularly like what He did in the Exodus, the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and the Passover. Those were God's mighty works in the Old Testament. Well, I don't think that these, these, these Christians, these new believers, these young believers, um, 
they weren't probably young, but they were early believers, right? Uh, they're talking about the new exodus. They're talking about what Jesus has done, right? Not in saving people from Egypt, but in saving people from sin. That's what they're declaring. Those are the mighty works that they're declaring to the gathering crowd. So the, the main thing here is not the tongues. The main thing here is not the fire. The main thing here is the gospel, that the message about what Jesus has done is central to what happens at Pentecost. Uh, and really what, what's happening is exactly what Jesus said would happen. They would be His witnesses. And so they are. The witness-bearing mission has begun. It begins on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit pours out, is poured out into the hearts of these believers and enables them, emboldens them to speak the Gospel, to tell other people about Jesus. Uh, and if we think about the timing of this event, it makes even more sense. Okay, so Pentecost uh, was a Jewish festival. It was the second of three. Passover, Passover was the first one. Uh, and then Pentecost happened 50 days after Passover. Uh, that's why it was called Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. Okay? And it was a harvest feast. You, you, were, you would celebrate your wheat harvest by bringing the first fruits to the city, right? So you would bring the first of your harvest to Jerusalem from all over the world. People would bring the first fruits of their harvest as a sacrifice to celebrate what God uh, had done. Okay? Uh, now, so, right, then the idea of a, of a first fruits is that there's much more to come. That you're bringing just the first, but that there is much, much more to come later. And so, now let's, let's put that in uh, the, the Jesus context. What had Jesus done 50 days prior at Passover? Uh, he had sacrificed himself to rescue his people from their sin. And then here we are, 50 days to the day. Pentecost was on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. So 50 days to the day after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And what happens? 3,000 people are saved. We're going to see that next week. 3,000 people come to know Jesus. A first fruits of a new harvest, right? The harvest, uh, Jesus' harvest in the world is beginning at Pentecost. And so the Holy Spirit uh, comes to empower God's people to talk about what Jesus has done. And I would point out too that when it says they are telling God's mighty works, right? That, that word for telling, it's not preaching, it's not proclaiming, it's not any of those special words, it's the simple word, the generic word for talking. These people are just talking about Jesus, right? Uh, we don't have to relegate this to like a special band of preachers. All the men and women of the church, this early church, are talking about what Jesus has done. So, how might we apply some of that? The first way I would say is that let's not miss the main thing. Right? There's, a, there's a lot of confusion, confusion around what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Again, some of us get really nervous when you hear that phrase. You start sweating like, oh no, somebody's going to put their hands up. Right? Uh, and then there's, the, uh, then, then there's the other side of the spectrum where we, uh, we equate being filled with the Spirit as kind of an emotional experience. Like, I know that I'm full of the Spirit because I feel a certain way. Uh, and then like maybe a far extreme would be something that borders on chaos. Right? People shaking or dancing or whatever. But, but being filled with the Spirit 
Spirit. Right? None of those things are, are, are markers of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means you point people to Jesus. Right? The Spirit comes not to make much of me or make much of my emotional state or to help me raise my hands in worship. Right? The Spirit comes that I would make much of Jesus. Right? Uh, so let's not lose sight of the main thing, that being fil- filled with the Spirit leads me to make much of Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus, to have the power uh, to talk about Jesus. But we should also say this, right? let's not play down the supernatural. Uh, so for those of us on this side of the spectrum, you know, the whole, where the Holy Spirit makes us nervous, um, we have a tendency to play down the role of the Spirit or to play down the supernatural. Uh, and that's a mistake as well. Right? We need the power of the Holy Spirit if we want our mission to be effective. Right? Uh, Jesus said in John 3 that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the new birth. Uh, he says in John 16 that it's the Spirit who convicts of sin and leads people to the truth. Right? The New Testament tells us that the, the Spirit is the power that animates the Christian life. Uh, and so as, as John Stott says, as the body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We must pray for the work of the Spirit. Uh, and I would think that, that Pentecost is just the first of several special outpourings that we call revivals. Right? This, was, uh, this is what Jonathan Edwards witnessed in the Great Awakening uh, in, our own, in our own history. A special outpouring of the Spirit. And we'll talk more about the signs of revival next week when we look at Peter's speech. Right? But there are times in history where the Spirit is poured out in a special way and it engages the hearts of people and they come to want to know about Jesus, right? It attracts people, makes them very aware of their sin and their need for a Savior. And we should pray for that. We should pray for those kind of revivals in our church and in our own hearts. Um, So the Holy Spirit comes to empower God's people to speak the good news. Now let's uh, let's look at these. That's the main question. Let's talk about these other two questions. What about the fire? Why does fire come to rest on these uh, these people? Well, to answer that, let's go back to the Old Testament where fire was a sign of God's presence. God uh, met Moses in a burning bush. Uh, he met Israel at Mount Sinai. When he came down on the mountain, what happened to the mountain? It basically turned into a firestorm, right? So, uh, so impressive that it scared the people to death, right? It was this, the, the mountain was engulfed in flame and smoke to signify God's holy presence. And then how did he lead the people through the wilderness? A pillar of fire, Right, uh, And when the tabernacle was completed at Sinai, what happens to the presence of God? It moves off of the mountain and it fills this tent. It fills this tabernacle. His glory cloud moves in and actually Moses isn't even able to go in because the glory of the Lord has filled the tabernacle. The same thing happens a few hundred years later when Solomon finishes the temple. God's glory cloud moves in as if to say, I like it. This is my place. Right? It's a sign that... That God is there. And so now, fast forward to Acts. 
where the, the people are gathered uh, and they're praying and they're waiting and fire, right? This, this mighty rushing wind and fire appears, right? God is no longer inhabiting a place. Now He's inhabiting a people, individual people. And notice that it's not like this, it's not the super uh, Christians, right? It's not just the apostles who uh, have God's presence. Uh, it's not just uh, the super Christians. It's not just the men. It's not just the women. But the whole group experiences God's presence. The whole group has God's presence uh, poured out on them. And that tells us that, right, that God's people now become God's temple. And it's not, right, so no longer will the nations come to Jerusalem to worship God. This fits, this fits with the missionary theme of Acts, right? No longer do the nations come to Jerusalem to meet God. Rather, God moves out to the nations in His people. Right? God's presence moves out uh, in His people. And so that's, that's good news, right? It tells us that, that you, not just, not just us, but you, are the temple. You are, God, God indwells you, right? The Spirit isn't just poured out on the apostles, he, he fills everyone. It's not just a special event for a select few. It's not a second baptism that only some Christians experience, right? In fact, this, this evidence only happens here. This is this kind of uh, this kind of outpouring with the fire doesn't show up in any other of the spirit fillings in the New Testament. Okay, so it's a one-time event, but it lets us know that this is God moving out from the temple into His people. Um, we know that everyone who believes in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you, and that means we can have great confidence that we don't have to live with fear. Uh, but we can live with great boldness because God Himself lives in us. Jesus doesn't live in your heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit of Jesus does. And so let that give you confidence and hope uh, that the, the, the God of the universe animates your life uh, and gives you boldness to speak. Now, why do they speak in different languages? That's our third question. What's going on there? Well, again, if you look at every at at all of the spirit fillings in Luke and Acts, and they we have some in the Gospel of Luke, you have a number of them in the Book of Acts. Each time, uh, this doesn't happen, right? In fact, this uh, the the speaking in tongues is a rare event in uh, in the story of the Bible. It's somewhat unique, and so we would disagree with those who say that speaking in tongues is a necessary sign of the Holy Spirit. I would probably even say that what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians is something different than what happens right here. But so it's a, it's a unique event, and in fact it's a sign. That they're speaking in tongues is a sign pointing to a new reality. What is that new reality? Well, to answer that question, we need to go back to Genesis. We need to go back to a place called Babel. Right? Uh, Babel, uh, the story of Babel happens in Genesis 11. Now, uh, just so you can see the parallels, in Genesis 10, you have what's called the Table of Nations. Okay, and this is a this is a list of nations and cultures that spread out uh, after the flood. When, as Noah's sons repopulate the earth, uh, we have a list in Genesis of all the nations and where they go to. Right. So you have the Table of Nations, and what do you have in Acts chapter two? 
You have a table of nations. Right? All of, all of these people from all of these nations have gathered to Jerusalem. Okay, they've come, now they're they're probably mostly Jews, but you have some Gentiles uh, who are, who worship uh, who worship according to the the Jewish custom, right? They're called proselytes, but they've all come to Jerusalem for this festival. Uh, and as as Luke lists these nations, he's basically just going around the compass. So people from all over the known world are in Jerusalem. So you have two tables of nations. Okay, um, now what happens in Genesis 11 at Babel? Well, you have uh, these humans, and they've been told to fill the earth and subdue it by God. But what they say, they have, a, they have one language at this point, they say, you know what, we don't want to spread out. We don't want to fill the earth. This looks like a good place for us to stay right here. We're going to build this really impressive city and this impressive tower and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Right? Uh, and so God, and there's, there's actually irony in Genesis here, uh, they're talking about how great this tower is, how great their city is, uh, and, and, and God says, huh, we should go down there and look at what they're building. Right, there's some there's some sarcasm there in God's voice. It's like, oh, that impressive tower. I'm going to actually have to go down to see it. Right, uh, but God confuses their language. Their their one language. Uh, he confuses it so that they can't understand each other, and they have to spread out. Right, and so multiple languages form. Well, what happens on the day of Pentecost? Fast forward to Pentecost, uh, and you have all of these nations, this table of nations who are gathered to Jerusalem. Uh, and, and what does God do? He doesn't change their language back to one language, but He enables His good news to be declared in all of their languages. God reverses the curse of Babel. By bringing all of the nations, by regathering the rebel nations under King Jesus. Right? That's the, the beauty of the gospel is that it reverses the curse, right? God reverses the curse of Babel and he regathers the nations under King Jesus. He, he doesn't restore one language, but he does give them one Lord, right? Uh, he doesn't cause everyone to speak and hear English or Swahili or Spanish. Rather, the good news is spoken in all of the languages there. What does that mean? Well, it tells us that God's kingdom is multilingual, multicultural, uh, multiracial, multiethnic. Right? What we see happening in Acts 2 is really a foretaste of what the last day will be like when people from every tribe and tongue and nation are gathered together to praise God and the Lamb. Right? Uh, it's a reminder that God's good news is for the whole world. Uh, it's, not, it's not good news just for the Jews, uh, but it is good news for every nation under heaven. Everyone who has run from God and wanted to make a name for themselves, God says, no, 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 come home. I've got you. Right? Uh, the Lord Jesus uh, is not just for the Jews. He's not just for the Americans. He's not just for the Chinese. He is for the world. And His good news is for the world. And so, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost all those years ago. Uh, one final thought as we just think about what this means for us as a church. Notice that as these people are worshiping God, it is attractive to those who are around them. Sometimes people will kind of draw a line between worship and evangelism. 
And they'll say, well, we have these church services here, and these are for Christians, and then these services here are really for non-Christians, and they're, and they're two different things. That, but you, that's a false dichotomy that you don't see in the New Testament. Right? That as these Christians worship, as these followers of Jesus, they're not even called Christians yet, right? as these followers of Jesus worship, it is attractive to those who don't yet know Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are drawn in. And so as we speak and live the gospel, uh, as we speak, as God gives us power to speak the gospel, it ought to cause other people to ask questions. Right to be able to say what what do these things mean? Our worship should do that. But it's also a beautiful thing to notice, um, beautiful and sad, uh, that even when the Holy Spirit is poured out in an extraordinary moment, there are still those who don't believe. That you still can't please everybody. There are still those who mock, even even though these amazing things are happening, there are still those who mock. Uh, there are still those who say, Ah, these guys are just drunk. Right. So as we worship, may it be attractive and compelling. As we speak the gospel, may it be compelling to our own hearts so that it is compelling to those who hear us. Let's pray.